0: Well, take your Bibles uh, just for the next uh, few moments and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9. And we're trying to take most of our Sunday evenings this year to work through a, an overview, a general overview of perhaps the most important of the Old Testament prophets. That would be Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah consists, as you know, of 66 chapters. And I pointed out to you before that this is often called the gospel of the Old Testament. Isaiah, these 66 chapters are not, it's not one consecutive message. He's not writing chronologically. It's not one consecutive message. But the book of Isaiah is made up of really multiple messages that Isaiah, that Isaiah preached. And, and if you kind of work through the book, you, you'll, you'll see those messages. You'll see how there's a, a section that seems to stand together, as we'll see tonight, beginning in chapter 9, verse 8, and going through chapter 12. You'll see how there's really one sort of message that, that is formed here in this, in this passage. Now remember been a couple of weeks since we've been together now in the book of Isaiah. But the name Isaiah just means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And that really is the central theme of Isaiah's prophetic messages. He's he's really taken with this idea of the salvation of God, particularly God's salvation when it comes to the people of Israel. And as that goes through History and brings in the Gentiles as well. Now tonight, even though we have a sizable portion of Scripture, I'm really not going to take that long. I'm just going to kind of highlight a few things to you and really encourage you to read this section uh, when you get home or spend some time here because it really is one of the most beautiful sections of, of the prophecy and maybe one of the most important. The last time we were together, we looked at chapters 6 through 9. We, we said that the first five chapters, this is really only the third overview, the third lesson that we were having in this overview. The first five chapters, we said, forms a preface. It's an introduction of sorts to the book. And then in chapters six through nine, chapter six through chapter nine, verse seven, we have some of the details of Isaiah's ministry. So we have the preface, the introduction, and then he gives us some details regarding his ministry. In chapter six, you remember how he is called and and commissioned to this ministry when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year King Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter six, Verses 1 through 8. And then the most part, chapter 6 verse 9 to chapter 8 verse 10. Has to do with the nature of this ministry. So he's called and commissioned. And then the nature of this ministry takes place in verses, in chapter 6 verse 9 to chapter 8 verse 10. And that nature is basically this. It is to be a faithful ministry, a persistent ministry, a hopeful ministry and a bold ministry. And then it closes off with the message of his ministry. Chapter 9 verse 1 to chapter 9 verse 7. It's, you find really Isaiah's ministry, though he's, he's preaching judgment and bringing woes upon the people to whom he's speaking. His message is essentially a hope filled message. The people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light kind of idea. It was a, he, he, he spoke of a promise of hope to the hopeless because there was a person who was coming upon whom the government would rest, whose character would be such that he would be perfect in wisdom and powerful in ability and personal in relationships and peaceful in his rule. He, he, he had the great capacity and great character. Uh, and, and how would this be accomplished? Isaiah says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts Will do this. So his message was really, God is going to do a work through this person, and he keeps coming back to that. And I'm supposing that as we go through this, and I've been reading the Book of Isaiah for um, in my personal time for about a year now, and I and I think we'll see this with every section. There's some sort of closing or some sort of conclusion that focuses our attention on the one who is to come, who is of course the Lord Jesus Christ. So it begins with this preface, these preface uh, uh, introductory remarks in chapters one through five, and then some details regarding Isaiah's ministry in chapters six through nine. As I said you know, a little while ago, it's providential that we come to the text that we're coming to tonight because of what we talked about this morning. This morning we talked about the the, the formal name for the doctrine that we discussed this morning is the doctrine of penal substitution. The, The teaching that says the Lord Jesus Christ took on Himself the penalty of the wrath of God suffering in the place of sinners. And we talked a lot about the wrath of God this morning and how God placated His wrath in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who willingly, indeed gladly, went to the cross to bear the eternal weight of the eternal wrath of God in our place. And I say that it's providential that we come to this text tonight because we really see some kind of a similar theme shining through these chapters that we're going to be overviewing tonight. Now, before we get to that, let me make another note. And, and really, again, I'm not going to take a long time but I want to set this up for you. I want you to remember that Isaiah is writing at a time when there was a very real and pressing danger in the southern kingdom of Judah. So remember Israel is now divided into two kingdoms. The north kingdom called Israel and the south kingdom, the southern kingdom called Judah. Now there's a, And Isaiah is writing primarily to Judah, though he does reference quite often the northern kingdom of Israel. And there was a great pressing danger from the Assyrian army in the north. The Assyrians were a cruel, cruel bunch. Uh, the, the things that they did to people, the things that they did to the nations that they conquered, unthinkable, unmentionable, the things that they did to those nations. They were a hated bunch. It's no wonder that when Jonah was called to take the message of, of, of repentance to the people of, of Assyria, the people of Nineveh, that he would not want to go. Very likely, Jonah had seen the, the, the fruit of the cruelty of these Assyrians and thus he would not want them to repent because he would not want God to forgive them because he would want God to judge them because they deserved to be judged. Well, Isaiah is writing at a time when the threat from the, northern, uh, from, from the northern army of the Assyrians was very, very real. They would conquer, eventually it would conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, and even now, they had designs on the southern kingdom. they had designs on Judah as well. And in this prophecy, we have seen that Isaiah, as with most other prophets, does something. That's very important that we make note of if we're going to understand prophetic literature. What Isaiah does is he often condenses, or maybe I can use the word compresses, prophetic events. So that when he's looking at it, it looks like he's describing one event, but actually he's describing several events. And I just want to show you what I mean by that. Try to show you what I mean by that before we start. Look at chapter 8 for a moment. In Isaiah chapter 8, we see Isaiah's message being given to the king of Judah in light of the approaching Assyrians. Assyrians, they're coming, the invasion is coming, the people are scared, they're scared, they're, they're, they're shaking in their boots. And Isaiah says, listen, you have nothing to be afraid of. Ask a sign and God will give it to you. He's going to assure you that you will not face you know, the, the the threat of the Assyrians. And of course, King Ahaz decides that he's not going to, to do that. He's not going to, to uh, ask the Lord. He was so set in his ways and so set in his sins that he would not give himself over to the things of the Lord. And so Isaiah explains what's going to happen about the Assyrian army and how there was nothing to fear and how that they only needed to fear God and... Nothing and no one else. And at the end of chapter 8, he says this. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And it's almost as if he's seeing the end of this, this, this talk about what is going on or will not go on with the Assyrian army, and he's seeing people who refuse to trust the Lord, who refuse to rest in, in God. And they, they, he says, they cannot be satisfied, there's no relief for them, there's just darkness. And then he begins the next chapter, as if talking about the same thing. And he says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations... The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. What he's doing is he's taking what was going on there in the time when Israel was threatened by Assyria, and he's looking, looking at that, but beyond that, he sees that there's coming a time when there will be a child who's born, a son who is given, upon whom the government of the world would rest on his shoulders. And he's compressing those events, so it's like he's looking at one event, but there's really many events. And that's very key for us to understand when we come to prophetic literature, especially with what we come to this evening in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 8, all the way through Isaiah chapter 12 to the end of of Isaiah chapter 12. As I said, there is a theme that is developed in these chapters. There is a, 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 a repeated phrase that we're going to see coming up here in chapter 9. You see it in verse 12. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. You see it in, chapter, uh, in verse uh, 17. Verse 17. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. In verse 21, for all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Chapter 10, verse 4, for all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is outstretched still. You see God responding in anger, God responding in judgment, God responding, God bringing his judgment on a people. These these chapters, this section, can be divided up into three parts. Chapter 9, verse 7 to chapter 9, verse 21 is God's judgment on arrogant Israel. That's chapter 9, verse 7 to chapter 9, verse 21. Then, chapter 10, through the end of the chapter, the entirety of chapter 10, is God's judgment on arrogant Assyria. Then chapters 11 and 12, God's promise of a future deliverer. God's judgment on arrogant Israel, God's judgment on arrogant Assyria, and God's promise of a future deliverer. And I'm just going to highlight some things here that I want you to see, and then we'll close with a couple of lessons that that, uh, are necessary for us to learn. You notice chapter 9 verse 8 begins this way. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob. And it will fall in Israel. And all the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. Who say in, notice, in pride and in arrogance. The bricks have fallen. But we will build with distressed stones. You, you get this note of arrogance in, in Judah. Yeah, uh, the, the, this, the note of arrogance in Israel. Yeah, things have happened. Things aren't looking good. But listen, we're going to rebuild. We're going to rebuild better than we ever were before instead of taking note of God's judgment God's judgment God's chastening through the Assyrians the people of Israel the people of Judah responded in this arrogance saying you know what we can we we can make it better we can grow we can get get by this we'll be better than ever we'll be stronger than ever before he he goes on to describe their their arrogance and their indolence against God their, their, their insolence against God how they they would refuse to repent and they would refuse even though God would bring judgment upon them that it's almost the idea like like you have this 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 competition going on here seeing if they could outlast God seeing if they could you know go blow for blow with God see if they could stand toe to toe with God and that's why we have this recurrent theme for all this his anger has not turned away even in this his anger has not turned away and his hand is outstretched still as if you're not going to be able to outlast God this you you need to stop with the arrogance stop with your think that you can make it stop with your think that you can that you're okay and humble yourself he's bringing his judgment against arrogant Israel and and this this judgment comes against them from from head to tail, from from the political leaders down to the prophets and everyone in in between. And then he, he I think, chapter ten, verse one. You know, I, I have a a hard time not seeing our nation in this in this verse. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. You know, I, I want to apply that to political leaders and. So-called journalists, you know, uh, woe to those who—it's uh, not about journalists, but it seems like it. Um, he's he's writing and bringing the, 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 the God's judgment, God's God's judgment against those arrogant people in Israel who think they can stand. Take heed, lest you also fall. Paul would say. Then, in chapter ten, he begins in verse five. Really, he brings Assyria. Now what was God doing? God was using Assyria as a rod, he says. Verse 5, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. This is amazing because Assyria was a wicked, wicked nation. Do you remember another prophet who learned about God using a wicked nation to bring judgment against his people? Remember Habakkuk? He was... Bring, he was understanding that God was going to bring the Chaldeans against the people of Israel. And Habakkuk says, how could you? How could you do that? And God says, I'm God, not you. I can do what I want to do. And, and, and Habakkuk learns that and kind of backs off, right? Well, Assyria is the rod in God's hand. And God says, I'm using Assyria to punish Israel. I'm using Assyria to draw these to draw my people back to myself. Assyria, don't get too high on yourself. Don't think that you're all that. Assyria, look, well, look what they do. Um, verse 7 He does not so intend, and his heart does not think so, but it is, it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Karmesh? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Not Samaria? Like Damascus. In other words, he's saying, look, I've, I've conquered other places, and I'm going to conquer these places. I'm in control here. And what God is doing in this chapter is he's calling on the arrogant Assyrians to recognize, hey, you're not all that. You think that you're in control, but you're not. I'm the one that raises up nations. I'm the one that brings down nations. Verse 15, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? In this case, the axe the, the is Assyria and the one who hews with it is is God. And the axe is not going to glorify itself. Listen, God is the one in control. He's bringing His judgment on arrogant Israel and He's bringing His judgment against arrogant Assyria. And He traces, in this chapter, He traces Assyria moving from the north, coming down through the northern part of Israel, coming down to Judah, and God says, I'm going to stop them in their tracks. They have no hope. There is no help for them. I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to to raise the whole place. But, and that's what he says at the end of chapter 10, he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. But then, here's Isaiah doing this thing again. He's talking about God's judgment on arrogant Israel and God's judgment on arrogant Assyria. And then all of a sudden, he sees something else and he looks at it as if it's one event, but we understand it to be more than that. He gives a promise of a future deliverer. Using that picture, he says, I've just clean cut the whole forest. But there shall come forth a shoot, chapter 11, verse 1, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And who is this shoot? Or what is this shoot? What is this branch? Well, chapter 11, verse 2, tells us that it's a person. And the Spirit of the Lord, just like He does back in chapter 9. Now in chapter 11, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. In other words, this, is, this, this, this king, this one who is to come from the, 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 the stump of Jesse, is a king who, who acts in perfect fear of the Lord. There, there was no king like this in Israel. But there is coming a king. And Isaiah sees that. And, it, and that's why his message, though there's so much darkness and gloom and despair, that's why his message and his ministry had so much hope. That's what kept Isaiah going. That there is one to come. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins and he looks forward he says i see a day i see a time chapter 11 verse 6 when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them that's what he sees he was Seeing nothing but despair and nothing but agony and nothing but arrogance and nothing but chaos. But then he says, I see a day when creation will be at peace. Imagine that. And and how how do we take this chapter? Well, I have no other way to take it than to say what it says. This, the, the earth be full, at the, the, the chapter 11, verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is coming a day, and Isaiah sees it though dimly, and sees it through a fog when there will be peace on the earth and an end to the chaos and the knowledge of the Lord from sea to shining sea. Everything will be perfect in that day the root of jesse and we know who that is back up in chapter 11 verse 2 now this is verse 10 in that day the root of jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious you you have now the nations being brought in and not only the nations but verse 11 in that day the lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnants the remnant that remains of his people this is a another grand gathering in like that of the exodus and this could not be referring to what happened at, at Babylon the, refer, the, the, the the return of the Babylonian captivity this is on a much grander scale people from the four corners of the earth gathered together and brought in under the peace that will reign no he says in chapter 11, verse 16, so much so the people are going to come in, it's like a highway from Assyria for the remnant, the remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Just utter peace and an end to chaos. And, And this is, as I said, this is what keeps Isaiah going so much so that chapter 12, and I think we probably could spend just a a full session on chapter 12, in that day you're going to say, I'll give thanks to you. Isaiah sees this and he says, in that day here's what's going to happen. You are going to, you Israel, are going to give thanks to God. Why? Because they'll say, for though you were angry, your anger turned away. And see, that's what kind of brings these chapters together. For all this, the anger of the Lord was not turned away. All this, the anger was not turned away. But Isaiah says, I see a day in which you will give praise to God because you will recognize that He has fully and finally turned His anger away. Behold, God, he says in verse 2, is my salvation. I will trust And will not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. And so, just this—this look, just this reminder. I suppose there are a couple of things that we can learn, a couple of lessons that we can learn. First of all, the lesson against um, refusing to repent. The lesson against hard-heartedness. The lesson against stubbornness, you see how Israel was stubborn, how Assyria was stubborn, how they were arrogant, exalting themselves against God. There's, there's a lesson. You cannot outlast God. So don't fight. Stop. <laughs> Humble yourself. Come before Him in humility and meekness and understand you cannot go toe-to-toe with there's this, this great lesson, I suppose, of the coming utter peace. The coming utter peace for this world. It's not going to be brought in by a political leader. It's not going to be brought in by an army. It's going to come from one who is this, this, this shoot from the, the, the stump of Jesse, from this one who is the signal of the Lord, the One who comes to make everything right, and He shall rule, and He shall reign, as He says, with righteousness and faithfulness. He will bring back, uh, uh, bring together His people Israel, faithfully keep His covenant to Abraham, and bring in the nations. We. We Those though, though things look hopeless in this world. They are not. And not because the church is going to be so great and the church is going to be so victorious and the church is going to be so mighty, but because God is so great and God is so mighty and God is so victorious. Do not lose heart. There is coming a day, friends, when God will bring an end to all the chaos of this world. Well, next time we get together, I think we're going to go, we'll probably take our biggest section, our biggest chunk yet, and go from chapter 13 to chapter 20 as we see God's judgment on the nations and to see this message that Isaiah has for us there. Let's pray together. Thank You, Father, for Your Word Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that you intend to follow through with what you said. And we can trust you. I pray that we would not be arrogant or stubbornly hard-hearted, but that whenever we are confronted with your word, that we would quickly give way humbly bow before You, incline our heart toward You, and thank You, Lord, for that great day that is coming. Though we may not understand all of the details and all the ins and outs, we can see there is coming a day of an end to chaos. the fulfillment of Your plan for all of creation. When creation itself will experience the redemption of the sons of God. This is unthinkable to us, O Lord. But we realize that when the Creator is present, in His perfect glory, that all things must serve Him. And we can only say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Help us now not only to not be rebellious and arrogant, but help us not to be hopeless in these days. But looking toward You as You give us Your truth, that our lives might be lived in light of what You say, in Christ's name we pray, and all God's children say, amen. Hey, thanks for being here tonight. God bless you.